may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. You're listening to Sunday on the Commons, a podcast featuring sermons from the United Congregational Church in Little Compton, Rhode Island. Pastor Rebecca is on maternity leave, and this Sunday we have the Reverend Dr. Richard L. Floyd in our pulpit. He shared with us stories about two rivers, one a real river, where Paul meets a remarkable woman named Lydia, and the other from the religious imagination of John the Divine, the beautiful river that flows by the throne of God in the heavenly city of New Jerusalem. Let's listen as he connects these two stories and shares what they might mean for our life and faith today. first reading this morning is from Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, the river of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Here ends the first reading. from the Acts of the Apostles, the 16th chapter, beginning at the ninth verse. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. 
the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithfully faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Here ends the second reading. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So you may have noticed by now that there's a lot of rivers in this morning's worship, and a river is featured prominently in both our readings for today. One is an actual river in the ancient city of Philippi, where Paul and Timothy went to pray and where they met Lydia. And the other river is from St. John the Divine's vision of the New Jerusalem, where a river runs through the heavenly city. Let us take a look together at the story of Lydia first. Now, when I, <clears throat> when I approach a text, I always sort of see if there's clues to what's going on in the text, because a lot of times biblical narratives are very spare. They don't give you a lot of information, but you have to kind of dig around. So the first thing that caught my eye in the story is the curious way Paul manages to meet Lydia. Now, I don't know about how you make your travel plans, but I have yet to have the Holy Spirit tell me where I can and cannot go. And if you go a few verses before I started, um, Paul was told by the Holy Spirit, no, don't go there, no, 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 not there. So not once, but twice he was told, you can't go there. So where to go then? Um, Paul's wondering, well, where can I go? Now, a little background. Um, the author of the, the book of Acts is Luke. It's a good name, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't know I was going to have a Luke in the family when I wrote this. Um, I wrote it in the morning on Friday, and he was born in the afternoon. So Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel that bears his name, also wrote the book of Acts. And originally they were, uh, it was a two-part story, a part about Jesus and the Gospel, and then the book of Acts about the early church and the apostles. The church fathers, in their wisdom, decided the Gospels should all go together, so they stuck John in between Luke and Acts, which kind of takes away the, the two-part. But he wrote, Luke wrote, the book of Acts, and he had a very strong doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He believed that the Holy Spirit empowered and guided the apostles and the early church, and the church. part of the reason that the church grew as much as it did in its early days was because of the Spirit's enlivening and inspiring. And you see that especially in his Pentecost story, which we'll, we'll have um, in a couple weeks. And in the book of Acts, there's a strange interplay between divine guide and guiding and human choosing divine guiding and human choosing. Uh, Luke doesn't seem troubled at all by any contradiction between God's providence and human free will. That's a discussion for centuries later. Now this story comes at the beginning of the story of Lydia and her conversion, comes at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey and it is the first time Paul preaches on European soil. 
Imagine that. And here we are still, 2,000 years later. So how does Paul decide where to go? He has a dream, a vision. A man of Macedonia is standing and pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now Macedonia is not just down the road from where Paul is, so getting there involves a very long journey, including a sea journey across the Aegean Sea and a sailboat. But Paul feels guided by the Spirit so he and his companions, Silas and Timothy, set sail and go to Macedonia, to the city of Philippi. Macedonia is in what is today northern Greece. Greece was divided into two Roman colonies, Achaia in the south and Macedonia in the north. The city of Philippi was founded by Philip of Macedon, who you will recall from history was Alexander the Great's father founded a city, named it after himself. People do that. It was a substantial provincial city with thousands of inhabitants. So Paul and his companions make their way to Philippi, and when they went there, they went down to the river to pray. Now one of the things we know about the rise of early Christianity uh, from extensive scholarly research, it was largely an urban phenomenon. And one of the reasons it grew so quickly was many of the converts to Christianity were Gentiles who had been very attracted to the Jewish synagogues. They'd been attracted to the story about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were attracted by the strong ethics that the, their Jewish neighbors had and their exemplary family life. And they were searching for something. And the name that scholars give them is God-fearers. They were God-fearers. And there was a lot of them around attached to the temple they didn't follow all of the Torah. The men didn't have to get circumcised. They were still Gentiles, but they were attracted to Judaism. But they were kept from being really part of the in crowd because Judaism was an ethnic religion that got passed down you know, from your mother. So your mother wasn't Jewish, you weren't Jewish. So they were all these God-fearers all over the Mediterranean world and the cities. And so Paul and other missionaries to the Gentiles would go and they would find them. And a lot of times, they went down to the rivers. The rivers were places of worship. Down to the river to pray. There's a beautiful song, Down to the River to Pray, some of you may know. I recommend Alison Krauss's version. If, if you saw the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So they go, so Paul and Silas and Timothy go down to the river to pray. And, um, they preach the gospel. And one of the things that the gospel says is this new claim that the promises of God formerly available to Israel are now available to everybody, the whole world. There's no, there's no bar anymore. You, the men don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow Torah. You don't have to eat kale. You're free in Christ. You're free in Christ. Christ has done the work for you, and now all you have to do is accept him, follow him, live out life in the community, and many people heard that word, and it was a good word, and they got converted. Now, when Paul gets to the river, there's a group of women praying, and Paul addresses them. Now, again, here's some curious features of this part of the story. First of all, we know that before his conversion, 
Paul, whose name previously was Saul, was a Pharisee, which is the strictest party of Judaism at the time. And he was a persecutor of the church before his conversion on the road to Damascus. And here he is <clears throat> preaching to a bunch of women. Now, to a Pharisee, there were strict rules separating men and women. This is something radically new for Paul. Um, plus, he sits to address them, which is how teachers taught in the ancient world. So here Paul the Pharisee is, a, is teaching this group of women. Um, so this is a revolutionary story about how the gospel breaks down the old strictures and customs. And one of the river, women by the river was Lydia. Now that, remember that Macedonian man that appeared in the dream and said, come up to Macedonia? He never appears again in the story. I don't know where he went. Paul doesn't see him or hear from him, but he meets Lydia. And Lydia is a very, very remarkable person. What do we know about Lydia? Well, not much, actually, but there are a few clues. First of all, it says she's a seller of purple cloth. Okay, she's a businesswoman. And in ancient Rome, only the aristocracy could wear purple. So she has a rich clientele. So we know that much about her. It's also curious that in this very patriarchal society, there is no mention of her marital status, no mention of a husband. Was she a widow? I think if she had been a widow, Paul would have put that in the story. Lydia, a widow. No, Lydia, seller of purple cloth. And we learn she has a household, which means she's pretty prosperous. Her household is probably it could be some family members. Most likely it's servants and or slaves. Some of the servants were slaves in those days. Um, so we can deduce from these little clues that Lydia is an independent, prosperous woman. And we can also deduce from her name that she's a Gentile. Perhaps she's one of those God-fearers I mentioned. And we also know she's decisive, since when Paul shares the good news about Jesus, she makes her mind up and is quick to say, sign me up. And she has her whole household and herself baptized. And what was it about Paul's message that so appealed to her? He most likely told her that in Jesus, all the promises of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were now available to a Gentile like her. And that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, there was a new kind of life available to everyone, a life free from the law, and that the symbol of that new life in Christ was baptism. And perhaps Paul offered to baptize her right there in the river. Well, we aren't told that. But we are told that she offered generous hospitality to Paul and his companions, and hospitality was one of the features of the early church, still a feature of the church, hospitality, radical hospitality. So she was the first Christian in Europe So the river, full of all this wonderful baptismal imagery, very powerful symbol of new life in Christ. But a river is also a powerful symbol of something else, and that brings us to our other reading, where St. John the Divine sees the heavenly city in a vision, sees the new Jerusalem, and describes some of its features. Let me recap some of those features for you. This isn't just any city, but a heavenly city. 
There is no longer any day or night. There's no sun or moon. Because God and the Lamb, that's Jesus, are the light. They provide the light. And there's no temple in the holy city. I've often thought one of the promises of heaven is there'll be no church there. <laughs> you know, this is a provisional plan. Uh, no stewardship campaign. And why won't there be a church? Why is there no temple in the city? Because everybody now doesn't have to go to church, doesn't have to go to the temple to have God mediated to them because God will be there directly, face-to-face, -face, presence of God in person. Now, there is a wall around the city, but guess what? There are 12 gates to the city, and they're always open. And yes, a river runs through it. A river of pure, clear, crystal water runs right through the city and it nourishes the tree of life along its banks and its fruits are never out of season. It sounds lovely, doesn't it? It's a vision, of course, a holy act of religious imagination. But that heavenly city and its river have loomed large in the imaginations of generations of Christians. An example of that is the hymn we just sang, Shall We Gather at the River? It's an oldie, oldie but goodie. And when I was picking the hymn, I was thinking, I was actually scrounging around for hymns about rivers. And I thought, oh, it's about baptism. That would be fit nicely with Lydia's conversion and baptism. But then I read the little blurb at the bottom of the New Century Hymnal and I discovered that shall we gather the river is not about the waters of baptism at all. It's about this other river that runs through the heavenly city. And I did a little research and discovered it was written by Robert Lowry, who was a Baptist pastor in Brooklyn in the mid 19th century. And he wrote it during a deadly heat wave and epidemic in which a number of members of his flock we're dying. So shall we gather at the river is a question about will we meet again on the other side? It's a hymn of comfort to imagine meeting those we love on the banks of the river of life at the end of our life or perhaps at the end of life itself. And when you get to be my age, you have as many people you love on the other side of death as you do on this side. So in my holy imagination, I picture meeting my loved ones by the river. I imagine meeting my mother again, who died in 1967 when I was 18 years old at the age of 53 and has seven grandchildren, and now four great-grandchildren, none of whom she ever met. Though I imagine meeting her there, seeing her again. And I picture some of the great saints I have known in the several congregations I have served in my 40-whatever years of ministry. I've lost count. 
there by the beautiful river, and I picture so many others I have known and loved, some of, some of whom have died too young or under tragic circumstances. And on this Memorial Day weekend, I imagine some of those who died in service in war there too by the river. It would be good to know that all of these are all right now in the nearer presence of God. <clears throat> and surely Paul is there with Silas and Timothy, and Lydia is there by the river. I want to find out more about Lydia. I'm fascinated by this woman. Lydia, who are you? How did you become an independent, strong businesswoman in that patriarchal society? Now, I want to and need to assure you that my religious faith isn't particularly otherworldly, despite what I just did. I know God loves this world and wants us to protect it and tend it, wants it to be more kind and fair and just. Following Jesus means caring about all those things, about justice and mercy and forgiveness, about God's good earth and about the poor and the powerless. God wants that and wants the church to be about that. And that's a good thing. But I also take comfort in the religious imagination of St. John the Divine, who envisions a state of affairs where God's promised reign and realm that we work for and we pray for here are already accomplished in heaven, where hate and war no longer prevail, and where even death itself has been defeated. Can you imagine that with me? So yes, I do believe we will gather by the river, the clear, clean, beautiful river. We'll gather with the saints at the river that flows by the throne of God. Amen. So this is an experiment in 21st century technology. Rebecca went off to the hospital without letting me know how to get into her computer to have things printed. Here's my prayer. We'll see how it goes. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O oh God, your majesty is over all your works, and before you the nations are like a drop in the bucket. Yet you exalt the humble and contrite of heart and call nobodies to do your gracious work and spread your light 
We pray you will consider us, your congregation, and hear our prayer for guidance and strength that we might have the wisdom to discern your will and the courage to do it. O God, who made the firmament and brought out the host of stars, calling each by name, yet who bends low to all the sad and suffering of, our, of your world, hear our prayers for all those places of deep darkness where chaos threatens and your rule is challenged. O God, who calls us from isolation into community and from preoccupation with ourselves to concern for our neighbors, we bring before you now the needs in this congregation and community, and I invite you to say out loud or in your heart anybody that you would like to pray for in the next few moments of quiet. Hear these prayers, O God. Shine the bright light of your love on those who struggle with despair and depression, those who mourn loved ones who have died, those who have suffered great losses in body or spirit, and those who battle disease or addiction. On this Memorial Day weekend, we remember with gratitude all those who served and died in service to our nation and we long and pray for the day when your peace will spread to all the world so none need die in war. O oh God, you are the Lord of the dead as well as of the living. Expand our vision that we might catch a glimpse of that great company across the generations that surround and support us as we try to walk in your way, travel in your light, Remind us of those we have known and loved who were reflectors of your light and truth, those whose faith was lived for all to see, as well as those whose faith was known to you alone. Finally, guide us daily, keep our feet on the narrow way, and uphold us with your loving hand, so that on the last day, we may be with all your saints, citizens, in your city of light, where there is no darkness, neither is there sun nor moon to shine on it, for your glory is its light, and the Lamb is its lamp, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website, www.ucclittlecompton.org. And if you'd like to show some appreciation for what you've heard today, we invite you to please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our ministry by clicking the donate link in the show notes. The tradition at our church is to end every service with this simple prayer. God be with you till we meet again. By God's counsels, 
God uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Go in peace.